Thank you for that short of class, Jeff. It uh, really fits very well with, with the message. In fact, you can say it was a summary of the message. It's a pretty good summary of what I have to share today, which is from 1 Peter chapter 2. You can start turning there. The third installment in 1 Peter. Uh, and and two major points of emphasis in this passage that we're looking at today is it's submission to the government, submission to earthly masters. But the, uh, the bigger context of it is uh, being exhibiting the kind of behavior that the law needs to see, the people need to see. So that's why I'm saying it fits well with the children's class because it, I think the context of this passage is being good reflectors. Uh, so what we've studied so far in First Peter is uh, chapter 1, we talked about being pilgrims on a journey and so much going for us, so much in our favor, so much to look forward to. Chapter 2, we talked about God building us into a spiritual house and how we need to be aligned with the cornerstone and that alignment affects our attitudes and affections and desires. And today, um, verses 13 through 25, are the passage, but I'm going through le- uh, verses 11 and 12, even though that was from the previous uh, session, because I, I, I think it really is necessary for introducing the thoughts here. In fact, the key phrase from this, uh, the key phrase that I want to, uh, to be thinking of in this message is verse 12, having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, Gentiles referring to non-Christians, honorable conduct, honorable could be translated good or excellent, and some translations do that. And because honorable is kind of a clumsy word to say a lot of times in a row, I might say excellent sometimes, but I'm talking about the same thing. And I want us to focus on this idea of, of presenting honorable conduct to a messed up world, and we're going to look at um, its effect, what impact can it have on the world, its elements, what is it made up of, and most of us focusing on the two that are in this passage, but there's many other elements also, uh, its formation, where does it come from, how do people live this way, and then finally, what's its motivation. So I will read this passage now from the New King James Version, starting at verse 11, and we'll go to the end of chapter 2. Beloved, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lust which war against the soul, having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works which they observe. Glorify God in the day of visitation. Therefore, submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether to the king as supreme, or to governors, as to those who are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers, and for the praise of those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men, as free, yet not using liberty as a cloak for vice, 
but as bondservants of God. Honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. Servants, be submissive to your masters with all fear, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the harsh. For this is commendable, if because of conscience toward God, one endures grief, suffering wrongfully. For what credit is it if, when you are beaten for your fault, you take it patiently? But when you do good and suffer, if you take it patiently, this is commendable before God. For to this you were called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow his steps. Who committed no sin, nor was deceit found in his mouth. Who, when he was reviled, did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but committed himself to him who judges righteously. Who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, having died to sins, might live for righteousness, by whose stripes you were healed. For you were like sheep going astray, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. So, um, let's first talk about the effect of excellent, honorable conduct, the effect it has on the world. And there are two effects listed here. One, uh, two effects that can uh, impact the law. One is that they join us. They are with us glorifying God on the day of visitation. They are there. Now they become glorifiers of God. That's the outcome we hope for most. The other outcome mentioned in this passage is they don't join us, but they stop attacking us with false accusations, as it says in verse 16. Because they see that the accusations are false and they are impressed and silent. So that's also a helpful outcome. And these are not guaranteed, not guaranteed to respond this way. But they are possible when excellent conduct is put on this way. And these are the outcomes this world needs right now. Now, this world needs to be constantly impacted by Christians who are displaying this kind of conduct, displaying, reflecting the light of Jesus. When this kind of conduct is not put on display. These outcomes and many other good outcomes just aren't possible. Uh, no unsafe person is going to see their bad behavior and glorify God, which is in heaven. No one's going to say, look at his reckless driving record. Praise God. That is not likely. And no false accusations are going to be uh, silenced if they're actually not false. Jesus said in Matthew 5, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. And of course, he also said, You are the salt of the earth. I want to talk just a second about salt. Thinking especially of dry cured hands, is country hand dry cured? Country hand. Is that dry cured? Well, anyway, dry cured hand. So that it would be uh, fresh pork, not cooked, 
rubbed down with a salt mixture and left to hang out for a while. And the salt removes the moisture from the meat, and without the moisture, bacteria cannot grow, which is a wonderful thing because the hand, the hand does not break down then, and it doesn't grow in meat, but it doesn't rot. And this is amazing, but it's true. And, and they've been doing this since ancient Egypt, although they would have been doing salt and fish. So this is pretty amazing, the effect of salt on meat that's not cooked. And so if I decided to do my own do-it-yourself, dry-cured hand, and I got a leg of, of pork from a, the slaughterhouse and rubbed it down with my own uh, homemade salt mixture and hung it up in my garage and then went to Idaho and came back and this thing was covered with flies and rotting and smelling terrible. Well, I'd be disappointed. But I probably would not say, you know what, I definitely bought the wrong kind of meat. What was wrong with that meat I bought? But, you know, question is, what was wrong? What did, what did I do wrong with the salt mixture? Did I not rub it in? Did I have the wrong ratio or whatever? But the salt wasn't doing its job. It, you know, can't really blame the meat. It's going to rot. And, and so when we think about our country and its problems, uh, I don't really think the babies born to Guinea Baptist Hospital are any more evil these days than, than the ones born there 50 years ago. Um, so I really think part of the question for us and for the church in general is what is wrong with the thought? It shouldn't uh, surprise us that the world is a dark place, or that a cave is a dark place. That's just what happens when there's an absence of light. What has happened to the light? Because we're supposed to be the light and the fall. So honorable conduct, when it is consistently displayed by Christians, it does impact the world at least gives the world the opportunity to be impacted by it. It's, it's the strongest argument for, or maybe against, Christianity. There will always be false accusations against God's people. We can defend ourselves with speeches and articles and interviews, and definitely there's a place for that. But in the end, the most effective defense is outstanding conduct. And the two outcomes that Peter mentioned here are the silencing of false accusations and people ending up joining us, glorifying God. And of course, there's a lot of other outcomes within that range that can happen when Christians display outstanding behavior when they are reflecting the light of Jesus. All right, so that's the effect. Now let's talk about, well, what are the elements of this? What goes into this passage? How should we be living? And of course, there's a number of things not even mentioned in this passage. Verse 17 is maybe a, a good summary of what we do in the behavior package. The two aspects most emphasized here, and Peter isn't quite done with it, but he goes into it a bit in chapter 3. The two aspects that emphasized here are in relating to government authorities and earthly masters. So let's start with government authorities. 
I'll reread verse 13, then I'll read some other relevant passages. Verse 13 says, Submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether to the king as supreme or to governors as to those who are sent by him. Every being the kind of the key word here that that uh, that we have to deal with when we're doing the taxes, right? And he uses some pretty broad language. He's not talking about submit yourself on the federal level and also on a state level, but not necessarily for local. You know, he's, he's saying every institution, every authority, let's be submissive. From the governor to health inspectors to whatever we should be submissive people. Romans 13 said, Let every soul be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and the authorities that exist are appointed by God. Uh, I guess I'd go ahead and read this, this the whole passage that I was reading and attending. Therefore, whoever resists the authority resists the ordinance of God, and those who resist will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to evil. You want to be unafraid of the authority, do what is good, and you will have praise from the same. For he is God's minister to you for good. But if you do evil, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is God's minister, and avenger to execute wrath on him who practices evil. Therefore, you must be subject not only because of wrath, but also for conscience. For because of this, you also pay taxes, for they are God's ministers, attending continually to this very thing. Render, therefore, to all their due taxes to whom taxes are due, custom to whom custom, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. So that covers a lot of territory right there. Render to all their due, Paul says. Uh, recognize that these authorities are appointed by God, and we need to obey them not only because of wrath, but also for conscience sake. <laughs> um, that, that's an important little clause there that, that needs to impact my life a bit more. You know, if I obey the law because I'm worried I'll get a $200 speeding ticket, but that's the only reason then I'm not really uh, obeying this, this verse. I'm not really following, not up to the standard I'm being called to, right? Uh, so Christians shouldn't need the laws to always be enforced for us to obey them. And, and hopefully we're obeying them, even when there's not the threat of a speeding ticket. So this is, I had to think about this when I was reading it. Titus chapter 3, verse 1 says, Remind them to be subject to rulers and authority, to obey, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to be peaceable, gentle, showing all humility to all men. So that, that again, is pretty, uh, pretty broad, pretty black and white. Even if we think it's unconstitutional, even if other Christians are defying the government, even if the president is a Democrat, we need to be subject. And pretty much best in every area. Uh, and, and we do well in major areas, uh, but so do a lot of non-Christians. You know, you get in, in the big trouble for theft and murder. 
Uh, what about the minor areas? Do we do better than non-Christians at obeying our government in some of these smaller areas? And I'm not talking about absolute rigidity here. I, um, you know, if I'm dying, I certainly would give you permission to speed a bit on the way to the emergency room. As long as you're careful, of course. Um, and probably sometime or another, due to ignorance, we're going to dispose of something in a not legal sort of way, and then realize later, you know, I really shouldn't do that. But we should be intentionally ignorant either, which we can be. So, this is something for us to think about. Another thing to think about is that someday, uh, we may get to the point where we have to actually disobey the government because of our, because of conscience sake to God. Some, someday we or our children may need to disobey the government. Um, it's not like that's never happened before. But the more concerned we are about that possibility, uh, the more concerned we should be about being consistent now uh, in our pattern of obedience, constantly obeying the areas we can. Let's make a strong record. I'm not saying it will get us out of trouble if we ever do need to disobey. I'm not saying that, but we will make a stronger case to the, to the onlookers and to the authorities if they can say, well, up to this point, this, these people have been a very law-abiding upright citizens. So the other, so that's one, one area Peter stresses here. The other thing he stresses is that is the submission to masters, even the bad ones. Verse 18, servants be submissive to your masters with all fear, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the harsh. This one is a little harder for us to relate to because we are not servants. The, this, the, the word here is household slaves. And so it is talking about uh, some kind of slavery. Um, so maybe it's a little hard for us to relate to this on the surface. I think it is fair to make some employer-employee applications. I think about it from that standpoint, um, because we are under authority of our bosses. We, yes, we are. They are our authority. Sometimes it may not feel like they should be, but we should be respectful of them. Uh, we should serve them well. Even if they're ungodly or unfair, even if we think we've been unfairly treated, we should be respectful and patient. There's definitely a place for a, a respectful appeal, but not a place for an angry, threatening counterattack that, even though it really appealed to us and it definitely sets some things straight, that, that is not the place for us. Patiently suffering some injustice, even when we've done right, is commendable before God. Is what it says here. It's commendable to patiently suffer for doing good. All right. So relating to our earthly masters, and then verse 17, kind of the summary: Be honorable in multiple areas. Uh, honor all people. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the king. And it. What I like about this statement is it reminds us that we need to. This needs to come. This good behavior needs to come with a package, and, and there's multiple different aspects of it. Don't be a God-fearing man 
and speak sarcastically of the Christians. Don't love the brotherhood, but be rude to the telemarketer, because that would not be honoring all people. Don't honor the president and ignore the needs of the brotherhood. There's multiple ways we can have defects here. It needs to be consistent. Uh, you want it to be intact in all points. It's kind of like this. You know, you're looking for a, for a, a good deal on auto trader. Maybe you're looking for a new on frontier. And uh, you see a great deal, and you, you're flipping through the pictures. This has happened to you before, you know. And uh, not new on frontier, but you, the front looks great, the side looks great. This, you, you know what? This could be it. And the, the back looks great, you walk through the pictures, and then suddenly you get to the passenger side, and here it looks like it was hit by a two-man truck on that side. And that is not what you're looking for in a car or a Christian. You want, you want to be consistent on all points. Again, this is what our world needs to be presented by the church. So if I reread, I want to reread Titus 3, verse 1. I, I love these two verses here. And this is Paul telling Titus what to teach the church at Crete. Remind them to be subject to rulers and authorities, to obey, to be ready for every good work, to seek evil of no one, to be peaceable, gentle, showing all humility to all men. And I wonder what secular America would think about Christian America if these things could consistently be said of us as Christians. Peaceable, gentle, speaking of no one, show humility to all subject to those authorities. Now, I do think, not to brag about our church too much, but I do think Titus 3.1 is, uh, could be said about a lot of our members and people sitting in here. And we have some, some very honorable people in our midst, and I am thankful for them and for their example. So, the elements of honorable conduct, submitting to government authority, submitting to earthly masters, um, I, I think that employers have a pretty good application for that, honoring all, loving the brotherhood, fearing God. Okay? So let's talk about the formation of this conduct. How do people get to the place where they live this way? Do they just decide, I'm going to be an excellent, excellent citizen. Obey everyone. I'm going to be a great person. Uh, Peter has the answer. Verse 24 says, Who himself bore our sins in his own body on a tree that we, having died to sins, might live for righteousness, by whose stripes you were healed. For you were like sheep going astray, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. I'll reread that last verse in the New American Standard. I like the uh, ongoing sense of Genesis 25. For you were continually straying like sheep, but now you have returned to the shepherd and guardian of your souls. We were pretty messed up people. People who are salt and light haven't just turned over a new leaf. They 
have experienced healing from this problem of continual strain. Although, to be honest, we know the tendency is still there and we struggle with it. But we are now led by the shepherd who, who suffered for us and is guiding us and is responsible for our healing. So we're admiring his example. And there, there are two parts of this, this conduct, where it comes from. One is experiencing the conversion, the other is being uh, dedicated to admiring the example of Jesus of Jesus. That's the following part. And the example is, he did no wrong, he suffered unjustly for us. He did not rail or threaten in response, he entrusted himself to God. These are the steps Jesus took. And there are, even though these do not appeal to our flesh and they are not easy, these are the steps we are called to follow. So this, to this you were called because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow his steps. And we must not find the teachings or example of Jesus revolting that they should be what we admire and lift up and pattern ourselves after. So how is honorable conduct formed in the person? It's by experiencing the healing work of the cross, cross, and by focusing on the example and teaching of Jesus. And Peter refers to Jesus' example several times in this letter. Jesus being the perfect example. Unfortunately, we do have other good examples around us also that can help us and uh, help us along the way and show us how to apply the teachings of Jesus. Okay, so that's where it comes from. And now, what about the motivation? This is a fairly simple one. What motivates us to live this way? Simply, Jesus died for us. He suffered for us because of us. We're not going to repay him. That's not the motivation. But we do have the opportunity to do things for him, for his sake. And we can also be things that he looks on with favor, like the servant suffering patiently, commendable before God. And that's what these things fire us. So we can do these things. Ultimately, we can do them for the Lord's sake. For the Lord's sake. And, and that needs to be our motivation. It really does. Sometimes we can we can do it because we don't want to get in trouble. Sometimes we do it because we're afraid of what people will think if we don't. But really, the motivation needs to be for the Lord's sake. So, as I was working through this passage, uh, thinking about different areas in which this often impacts my life, here are a few. One is... Um, be more consistent about obeying the government, government institutions, you know, am I not supposed to be burning that brush pile with old motor oil? I mean, I've got, it's very convenient, takes care of two problems at once, I've got the old motor oil, I've got the brush pile. The motor oil is taking up space in my shed, Colleen doesn't like the brush pile. And so we can just solve it at once. But the problem is, it's illegal. So I won't do it. So that, you know, we need to be careful to be consistent in, in not just the big areas, but also some of the more minor areas. Let's be consistent. 
Let's be careful not to speak disrespectfully of government leaders. And I don't think we have a big problem with that. I honestly don't think we do. I, I think people are careful with how they talk about our authorities. Even when things don't really make sense to us, I'm not hearing people tearing down our government authorities. Uh, thirdly, I need to be careful to be a respectful and submissive worker. Yeah, it's, it's not the same kind of relationship as, as what they had in um, Peter's day, but there's enough overlap that I, I should apply here. Even if my boss is wrong about some things, or harsh, unfairly harsh, I need to be respectful of his wishes and still provide excellent service and not spend too much time complaining with my coworkers. That's a very easy thing to do. But it's not really beneficial to the company or my boss. So let me be careful there. And finally, uh, make sure that my life, we need to make sure our lives are shaped primarily by the example and teachings of Jesus. Above all else, the examples and teachings of Jesus could be shaping us and forming our worldview. And there's a lot of other things out there, a lot of other very clever people, excellent teachers and writers, that can also impact our worldview. And we need to be careful. Um, there's a lot of voices saying this is right, this is wrong, what this leader is doing is outrageous. This is not constitutional. This is ridiculous. Let's make sure, even if they're all right, that uh, our worldview is most shaped by the teachings and example of Jesus. Because what this world needs is Jesus and the church that is presenting Jesus to the world. That's, that's our job. So let's strive for that. God bless you.